your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life. And I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. All right, go ahead and take your Bibles and open them up to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We'll get to Galatians here in just a minute. But we are going to begin in Luke chapter 8. Verse number 4. Luke chapter 8, verse 4. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. See, Jesus spoke in parables at times, so that the people who were actually going to get it would understand and everyone else would just be confused and they'd leave and they wouldn't have to he wouldn't have to try to to work tirelessly to get them to understand something that they weren't willing to understand in the first place now this verse 11 the parable is this the seed is the word of god the ones along the path are those who have heard and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The parable of the sower or the parable of the soils or the parable of the seed, whichever term you want to use the name. We come up with like 50 different names for every single parable and they all mean the same thing. The parable of the, I always call it the parable of the sower. Verse 11 is the verse that we need to to draw in on, and it's this. The the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Now, that word, Word of God, it has a couple of different meanings in the New Testament. First off, you have uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, which we read uh, in our Scripture reading at the beginning of worship. Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God, 
And all flesh is like grass, as glory is like the flower of grass, the grass withers, flower falls, so forth. And the wor- this word is the good news that was preached to you. So you have one meaning of the term word of God being the, the teachings of God. But then you have another term, like if you go to John chapter 1, you'll come in contact with this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it gets confusing because the fact is that the Bible was written by men who were inspired by God. It wasn't, it wasn't handed down from heaven like the Ten Commandments on a plaque and given in its final form to someone. So it wasn't in the beginning with God. So what's he talking about there? Well, he's talking about Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The term word is actually the Greek word logos, which is this, um, let, me, let me pull it up here so, just so you can see it. It's this word, log, logos, 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 logos. There's 400 different ways to pronounce it. In Greek, if you were going to read it in Greek, you'd, you'd pronounce it logos. It means a word, a reason, or a plan. In fact, it came from a man, as far as we can tell, by a man named Heraclitus, which was known as the weeping philosopher. Basically, Heraclitus was, was a thinker, and one day he was out in the pasture or in the w- woods of some sort, and he was looking at a stream, and he got his nickname the, the, weeping, the weeping philosopher because he was looking at the stream and he started to cry, and his, his servant, one of his one of his teachers, his disciples. See, the word disciple is a word that just means a follower of, the, of a teacher. So you could have a disciple of a philosopher, or you could have a disciple of Jesus Christ. One of his disciples asked him why he was crying, and he said, because I, I just realized that I can never see the same stream twice. And because of that, he came up with this term, logos, which meant the moving factor of creation. Heraclitus understood that there was a creator. He understood that there was something that was causing the world to move. That, that was causing, causing the world to continue. And he gave, came up with this term logos because of that stream in, in the woods that day. Well then, John uses the term because it is true that there is something that keeps the world moving. But it's not... The force of gravity, which is what Heraclitus' teachings would eventually become, they would, they would find that gravity was the reason why the stream was moving down the hill. Unless you're at the Nile River or the St. John's River, in which it flows backwards. But nonetheless, um, it wasn't... John, John uses the term to say it's not the thing that the philosophers think is the moving factor of creation. It's actually... Jesus Christ. He is the mover. He is the one that continues to, to, to push out and continues to sustain the world. And so in Colossians and other places, you'll see the New Testament writers writing that Jesus created the world. And in Genesis chapter 1, you see that He is there. That the Word, God says, let there be light. That's the Word. That's the moving factor. Jesus is there at the creation. Then you see the Holy Spirit doing His work in the creation, and the Father doing His work in creation, by the way. But nonetheless, so you have these two different terms that are two different concepts that, that encompass that term Word of God. You have the Bible, and you have Jesus Christ. 
Well, those aren't contradictory because the, the fact is that Jesus Christ came and in the Old Testament, even before He came, He was inspiring people to write. In fact, that's what the, the New Testament says, that in times of old, the people were moved along, that no Scripture comes from... The, the Old King James says private interpretation, which no one in, New, in 2019 understands what private interpretation means. It means it didn't come up by, the man, by man's thoughts. No Scripture was, came up from private thoughts. But it was written down by people who were moved by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in the Old Testament, is, is inspiring people to write down the prophets and so forth, to write down the, the Scriptures. In the New Testament, He comes and He brings a new word. He, in fact, in Matthew 6 through uh, 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says that you've heard it said this way, but I'm telling you this way. He brings a new word. And then in John chapter 12, he says that his words are going to be the words that man is going to be judged by. So, Jesus is the reason why we have the Scriptures. He inspired the people in the Old Testament. Then he came and he left the Holy Spirit, John chapter 17 says, to keep inspiring people to write throughout the end of the first century. And around about A.D. 96 or so, you have the completion of the Scriptures. And in the parable of the soils, or the sower, or the seeds, or whatever you want to call it, he implies that there is this Word of God, this teaching of God, that continues to move all creation, that, that supplies what creation needs to continue to be, and it has the ability to be choked out by the cares of the world. It has the ability to, to, to enter into the, the hearts of a man and just not take root because his heart's too hard. And Even though he may show up to services, it doesn't mean that it's actually taken effect. So forth. This Word of God. That's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. We're going to enter into Genesis, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 2. We're going to talk about the Word of God. Now, when we come to Galatians chapter 2, you have a, a problem. And that problem is Paul has been gone for a long time. In fact, let's just read the text. Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse number 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I, had, that I proclaimed among, among the Gentiles in order that to make sure I was not running or had run, not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. See, the, the point of the book of Galatians is Paul's dealing with this problem that, that the people in Galatia had these teachers that wanted to turn Christianity into what they liked. They were more worried about complaining what they liked and how they thought things should be and how they were comfortable with. They were more worried about that than what the actual Word of God said. And he says, it's time that you fix this problem. And then he starts telling his story. Last time uh, I was here, about two weeks ago, we talked about his story and how 
his story was used as a conduit for the conversion of other people. Because when they saw who Paul was, they were able to see who Jesus was. And we looked at the fact that when the, the same is true of us as Christians today. When they see us, they should be able to see who Jesus is. But in the timeline of Paul's life, Galatians chapter 2, when he starts talking about this, he's been gone for 14 years. See, Paul was converted in Damascus by the seeing of Jesus on the road and the three days that he spent praying and, and then the, the words that Ananias came and taught him. Paul wasn't converted on the road to Damascus, but he wasn't just converted just because of what Ananias said. He was converted by the entire experience. He saw who Jesus was. He understood who Jesus was. He knew that he needed to fix it. He was willing to do whatever it took to fix it. And when someone said, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, he said, I'm going to do that. I don't, I don't care how it works. I'm going to do that. So, he's converted. He goes off into the wilderness and spends a few years just spending time with himself and with the Lord and learning and growing in his faith. And then eventually he moves back to where he's from up in Tarsus and he learns some more there. And about 17 years has passed at this point. 14 years since the last time he saw any of the apostles. And Galatians chapter 2 begins with this idea that he needs to go back to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9, which you'll see on the screen, verse 26 says this, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. When they were all afraid of him, they did not believe that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and spoke to him and how how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea, sent him off to Tarsus. He's got to get out of town because... The Hellenists, the people that were people that were causing this problem, you see, the problem that was happening in Galatia is not new. And it's not something that we don't deal with either. They these people had been teaching that you need to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus since the moment that Jesus established the church. And in Acts 9, he goes and he meets them and he's got to leave because they don't want to have anything to do with it. Then, in Acts 11, after this vision that Peter has, in Acts chapter 10, Acts 11 says this, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were called, first called, Christians. So, he goes to Jerusalem. People don't want to have anything to do with him. Because he's trying to say that a Gentile can become a Christian. 
notice that what happens in Acts 9, if you've read this text of of the book of Acts, the timeline's probably pretty fresh in your mind, but Acts chapter 9, he's run out of Jerusalem because the Hellenists, and the the brethren hear about it, and they, they take him, they send him to Caesarea, because at least Caesarea is a little bit farther away. There are some Gentiles there. It's not that big of a, it's not that big of a, Jewish stronghold, as it were, as, as, as Jerusalem. And so they send him to Caesarea, and eventually he goes back to Antioch, where he's from, up near Tarsus, the general area where he's from. And a few years later, in Acts 10, Peter has a vision. You see, Paul's been preaching this since years before. But Peter has a vision that now Gentiles are accepted into the church. If they'd have listened to Paul when he was there the first time, Peter wouldn't have had to have the vision. But he did. And so he had the vision. They didn't. So he had the vision. And then in Acts 11, they realize it. The beginning of Acts 11, verses 1 through 18, Peter recounts what had happened and says, the the gospel is now open to Gentiles. And someone, you can almost see it, someone says, you remember Saul? He's called Paul now. You remember a few years ago, he was down here saying the same thing, and we ran him out. Somebody should probably go up there and find him and make sure he's doing okay. So they send Barnabas. So Barnabas goes, he finds him in Antioch, and they spend a year preaching and teaching there together. Then, in Acts 11, verse 27, the text says this, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now let's go back to Galatians chapter 2 for just a second. Because now we're caught up to where Paul is talking in Galatians 2. Verse number 3. When he went to Jerusalem, not even Titus, his his worker, his, his helper, his protege, who was with me, he was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ, so they might bring us into slavery, he calls it slavery. He calls the, the false gospel that turns your opinions into Jesus' words, he calls it slavery. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, the entire group is going to call it the same thing when they write a letter to the churches and say, we're not going to hold you accountable for anything that Jesus Christ has not held you accountable to. See, that's the purpose of brethren, is to hold each other accountable. The purpose of brethren is to, to work together and only to work together within the confines of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the New Testament, and the commands of such. Now, nonetheless, he says, they wanted to bring us into slavery, verse 5, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, 
for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to, to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. When James and Cephas and John, or James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now back in Acts chapter 11, you have the same thing, the same situation. In fact, it's, it's the same time period. Verse 27, in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Everyone meets up in Antioch. And there was one named Agabus who prophesied that there's going to be a famine. And they say, well, we're Christians, and Christians help people. So what we need to do is we need to help the poor. Now, what Acts doesn't talk about is the, the thing that Paul talks about. It doesn't picture them talking to Paul because now it's been 17 years since anyone's seen Paul, or rather since he was converted, 14 years since anyone's seen him. And there's this problem. Jesus told Paul that he's supposed to be an apostle. But we haven't seen him in 14 years and nobody's heard him teach. So what happens if in those 14 years, Paul becomes one of those bad soils? And the gospel that he was taught, and the gospel that he preached there in Damascus for about a few weeks before he left, in, or about a year before he went back to, to Antioch, what happened if in those 14 years, the gospel that he was preaching has now become corrupted? What happens if, if Paul is not teaching the same thing that he was when he started? We need to figure that out because if we're, going to, if we're going to be willing to tell everyone that Paul is one of us, we need to know what he teaches. And so at Galatians chapter 2, Paul recounts it and he says, I told them, I told them the gospel I preached. And the people that seemed influential, and he adds that little statement in there because Paul's not worried about how people see him or how he sees people. He's worried about how God sees him. He says, they seemed influential, but I don't know if they were because God shows no partiality. Those people who seemed influential, when they heard the gospel that I was preaching, they didn't add anything to me because I was preaching the same thing that they had. Now, here's my question. I, I said all that to say this. How, in 14 years, does Paul go off isolated from the rest of the apostles. If in the first century, which is true, the gospel is being preached through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit miraculously, through the hands and mouths of the apostles, how in 14 years does Paul separate himself from the rest of the apostles, Cephas, Peter, James, and John, and the rest of them, how is he separated from them 14 years and that when they come back together, the gospel that they're preaching is the exact same gospel? And the reason is because the gospel never changes, regardless of where it's preached. If the gospel is preached in Antioch and the gospel is preached in Jerusalem, as long as both groups stay faithful to the, to the inspiration then they can be separated for 14 years or 114 years or 2,000 years and that gospel will stay the same because of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8. 
that the seed is the Word of God. The reason why Paul can go to Antioch for 14 years and the disciples and apostles can stay in Jerusalem for 14 years. By the way, can you just imagine this? Acts 11 says that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Can you imagine when the people come from Jerusalem to Antioch to visit Paul and to see if he is a preacher of the gospel, if he really is an apostle of Jesus Christ? Can you imagine when they get there and they say, oh, by the way, um, we wanted you to know that we're called Christians now. They said, what? We've never heard that term before. The people in Jerusalem hadn't heard the term Christian yet until they get to Antioch. And so they get there, and Paul and the rest of the Christians in Antioch say, by the way, we got a name now. It's Christians. You, you may not have known that, but we're called Christians now. Isn't that nice? Isn't that cool? We have a name for what we've been doing. We've been calling it the way for all these years because we really didn't know what it was called. But God gave us a name. We're Christians. We're little Christs. Now, the reason that that, that can happen is because the gospel never changes. The Word of God is the seed. Now, I want to read something to you. This quote is by a man, a a brother in Christ named M.L. Sexton. And I know it's a lot of words up there, so just, just, I'll read it to you. In every generation, we must have men to rise up with the knowledge, faith, and courage to proclaim and defend the faith. In the 18th and 19th centuries, there were men who analyzed the problem and set out to get people to drop their human names and man-made creeds and accept the Bible and the Bible alone in all matters of faith. Their purpose was not to reform anything, but to try to restore the Lord's church as it was in the New Testament. They knew that the only way this could be done was by sowing the seed of the kingdom, Luke 8, 4-15, Matthew 13, 19. Some of those who stood out in this great movement were James O'Kelly of the Methodist Church, Dr. Abner Jones of the Baptist Church, Barton W. Stone and Thomas and Alexander Campbell of the Presbyterian Church, and a host of others. They dropped their church-affiliated names and man-made creeds and turned to Christ as their spiritual rock and foundation with the Bible as their only creed. They wanted to duplicate the church of the first century in all its teaching and practice. As a result of their work, churches of Christ sprang up all over the country. There was no man-made ecclesiastical organization. They accepted the word as it is settled in heaven, Psalm 119, 89. This seed produced churches of like faith wherever it was sown. Those words were said in 1988. I've never met M.L. Sexton before. I probably never will. I think he passed away already. But he and I agree, even though we've never met. And we're separated by 31 years. You know why it's 31 years? You know how I know that? Because I was born in 1989, and we're not going to talk about how old I turn next week. Anyways. 31 years, we're separated, and he and I agree that, that men by the name of James O'Kelly and Dr. Abner Jones and Barton W. Stone and Thomas and Alexander Campbell and the rest of the ref, rest, restoration preachers, that those men, even though I'm separated from them by 200 years, we agree. Even though I'm separated from Paul 2,000 years, We agree. Even though you're separated by Peter from 2,000 years, you agree. 
Because the Gospel never changes. Why does Paul include in this in this defense of the Gospel in the book of Galatians, why does he include this, this lengthy statement in chapter 2 about these years that he was separated and then some people came up to Antioch and met him and they talked and then they went down to Jerusalem they took some money down. Why does he include all that? It doesn't seem like any of that has anything to do with the Gospel. But it does. Because the story shows us that no matter how far apart they were, no matter how many years separated they were, Paul and the other apostles were preaching the same thing, not because they were making it up. You can't do that. If you and I try to make up a story and never talk about it for 14 years, and then we come back, there's no way. In fact, I'll prove it to you. When I was in high school, we had a, we had a, a legend. Now, I don't know if anybody outside of the Arab high school trumpet line has ever heard this before, so you are special. About 20 years before I was in high school, there was, a, there was an incident at a show wherein, a, the story goes, a black cat jumped out from underneath one of the bleachers and bit the trumpet section leader on the foot. And then it became a legend. And about 20 years later, at Arab High School, all of our t-shirts said, be the cat. Be ferocious like the cat that jumped out. Okay, truth is, that cat never existed. The guy who came up with the statement came up with the statement because he heard it somewhere else. And he made, the, made up the story because he wanted something to get his group together, to encourage one another. Not, not maliciously. He wasn't lying to be malicious. It was just a story, right? It's just a fake story. I thought it was true. Come to find out, it was just made up the entire time. Separated by 14 years, there's no way that these men are preaching the same thing unless they're getting it from the same source. Separated by 2,000 years, there's no way that these men, well, about 1,700 years at this point, there's no way that these men like James O'Kelly and Barton W. Stone and Thomas and Alexander, Alexander uh, Campbell and Dr. Abner Jones and so forth. There's no way that they could agree unless they're getting it from the same source. I'll add one better. What it doesn't say is Dr. Abner Jones of the Baptist Church was one of those restoration preachers, but there was another person. I don't know if he ever preached a sermon after he was baptized. His name was, his name was John Smith. Doesn't that sound like a, just a good old English name, John Smith? Isn't that the guy in Pocahontas? Anyways, John Smith, not the same guy from Pocahontas. He's actually the former of the Baptist church. He's the guy who built it. And you want to know what? After he built that church, he realized it. He realized that separated by 1,700 years, you can still go to the same source. John Smith was baptized for the remission of his sins because they, he went back to the same source founder of the Baptist church was a member of the church of Jesus Christ after he formed it because he realized that if we go by the same source there's no way that we can disagree and that's why 
Paul includes this in this book because he wanted them to know that it took 14 years for him to get back to the apostles and they agreed. And he says, you in Galatia, you don't have to listen to these false gospels. You don't have to let people tell you that their opinions mean more than Jesus Christ because that's not true. You don't have to do that. You can go back to the same source that I had. You can go back to the same source that the other apostles had. And you can learn the gospel outside of any man-made doctrines or creeds. See, the idea of restoration is not something that these guys came up with 250 years ago. They just figured out what Paul had been saying the entire time. That when you go by the same source, you get the same thing. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 8. Now I'm going to leave you with this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Again, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. We'll talk about that this afternoon. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. If you're a Christian this morning, you heard the same gospel that Paul was preaching. You heard the same gospel that Peter was preaching and James and John and the other folks in Jerusalem and the other folks in Antioch because we go by the same source. If we make ourselves the source, we fall into the category of the people that Paul is trying to refute in the book of Galatians. A false teacher. If we make ourselves the source of the gospel, if my opinions mean more than the gospel of Jesus Christ, if how I feel or what makes me feel comfortable means more than what Jesus said, then we have fallen into the same category. And Galatians chapter 1 says that even if an angel does that, let him be accursed. A word that means set outside to wither away and die in the weather. That's what the word means. It's the same word they they would have used for children that they didn't like, that they didn't want, that were sick or that were maimed in some way or something, and they would leave them out to die of exposure. It's the same word. Let him be accursed. But if we go by the same source, we'll have the same thing. If you want salvation, you have to go by the same source. And that source is Jesus Christ and the word of Jesus Christ. And it says that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. But for those of you who have been baptized, let me say this. Your opinions don't matter. My opinions don't matter. Just what the book says. If we go by the same source, we'll have the same thing. If you need to become a Christian this morning and be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement for you, and you can let us know while we do that.